Good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Good? Awesome. Awesome. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look so great. You look so great tonight. If you're watching online, you should be here because it's an ego boost. So, hey, welcome to our new series. If you are joining us for the first time, you're, you're joining us at just the right time. I'm so glad that you guys are here tonight. Um, but we are in a new series called The Warrior Years, The Warrior Years. And, and that might not sound like a phrase that you've heard of before, but this phrase sometimes gets talked about in Christian circles. And it comes from the life and times of David. You may know him as King David or if you're just kind of getting involved in church, maybe you know about the story from, you know, uh, that little kids say in Bible school about David slaying the giant Goliath, right? That this comes from his life and his times, this phrase, the warrior years. And uh, because essentially David's life is mapped out in a bunch of sections, okay? His first section is the, is the moment when he's called. And David gets anointed to be king. And Samuel comes to him and says, it's you, you're the dude, you're the guy. He anoints him with oil. And in that moment, David knows what his call is for the rest of his life, that he is going to be the king of Israel, that he is going to lead the people of God. This is going to be his role. This is, this is God's promise over his life. And then after the calling comes this series of years that David engages in called the preparation years, where David isn't ruling a kingdom, he's actually serving another king. And he isn't, um, you know, leading and guiding thousands of people, but he's actually leading and guiding sets of sheep. And long before he became the guy that led armies into battle, he destroyed a giant with a tiny stone. These were his preparation years. And then one day, Saul passes away and King David takes the throne and he engages in a series of years called for the sake of this series, his warrior years. And they are the set of years that David took the most amount of territory that he would take in his lifetime. They are the years where he not only felt the call and he not only was prepared for the call, but he actually stepped out and began engaging in his call. It was the rubber meets the road moment for David where he's actually doing it. He's actually starting. And in this season, in his warrior years, was when he took the most territory for God that he would in his lifetime. He literally took land for the sake of the Lord. Now, you and I, in 2016, we, meta we not metaphorically, but we spiritually take land for Jesus in our lifetime. But he literally took land for God in his lifetime. And he defeated the Amorites and the Malachites and the, the Moabites and the Philistines. And he retrieved back the Ark of the Covenant. And he, he um, defeated um, Jerusalem so that he could, he could make it the capital of all of Israel. These were his warrior years. And this isn't just a, a system that works for David. This was the way that Jesus, our king and our guide, this was how he lived his life. From the moment he was a baby, he knew his calling. His mother knew it, and the three wise men knew it, and Herod knew it. He knew he was called. And then he went through his preparation years where we don't really see him, and we don't really hear from him, but God is preparing him and raising him up, and he's becoming the, the Jesus that we know and read about. And then at one day, at one point, he's anointed and appointed, and the heavens open, and God speaks, and he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
And he begins his warrior years, which is three years of ministry unlike any the earth has ever known or will ever know. See, and the reality for you and the reality for me is that we are made in the same way. That there is a moment in our life where God gives us a call. He gives us a dream. He gives us a vision. And if you're in here and you're thinking, oh my goodness, Jess, well, I don't know if I'm called. If that's you in here, if you're thinking, that's not me, let me just, let me just set you uh, at ease. Let me put that anxiety to rest because you are called. The Bible says in Matthew 28 that we are all called to go into all the nations to make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are here, young adults, to build God's kingdom. That's the only reason why you still have breath in your lungs. It is to tell people about the good news in a world that is full of dark news. This is your call. And so there's a moment where you realize the call that is on your life. And then you enter a series of years of preparation. And then after that, there comes the moment where you're not just dreaming about the call, where you're not just journaling about the call, where you're not just writing about the call or praying about the call or thinking about the call, but where you actually engage in the call. And that's what this series is about. And tonight I want to ask this simple question. The call is there. The question is, are you stepping into it? The call is there. The question is, are you willing to step into it? And so I titled tonight, Step Into It. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. God, I pray just... In this moment, whether people are listening in the room or they're listening across the nation, God, rise up your people into your calling, Lord, into not just dreams and ambitions and journal entries, God, but into actual gritty ministry of serving people, of proclaiming your name, God, that that tonight that people would have an awakening in their spirits. We open our hearts to you, God. We thank you for our warrior years. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. All right, do you guys uh, remember growing up how like, uh, do you remember our playgrounds growing up? Okay, because, because our playgrounds growing up, like they were intense. They were hunks of metal, like, like with sharp edges. And like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like you, like they shouldn't have been called playgrounds. They should have been called like death traps that were cool with your parents, right? Because, because you'd get on to this playground and, you know, you'd have this giant steel slide. And if the sun was hitting it just right, like you'd sit on that thing and it'd be like, oh my God. Like you'd burn off half of your bum, Right. And then you'd slide down and you'd hit this like nasty gravel that would like road, road burn your arms and your legs, right? And then the monkey bars were like 20 feet off of the ground. Like you for sure were going to break an arm. I don't know about you, but there's a place here in Denver. Uh, it's called Rocket Park, okay? And I remembered as a kid going to Rocket Park and there's a giant rocket with a slide. And I kid you not, that thing is 35 feet in the air. And I would get up there as a kid and then I'd just be like, I'm going to sit up here because I'm scared. Um, I don't want to go down, right? Like, like nowadays, like, like we're raising a bunch of wussies. Can I just say that? Because playgrounds are made of like this soft plastic and like, and like you can't bump your head on anything. Like everything has like this nice covering with, you know, like the slides are made of cotton balls. Like, like, 
like, and then for real, like everything's covered in this nice, like rubber matting that's just plush and you hit it and you're just like, oh my goodness. And you know, but, but not when we were kids, not when we were kids. When we were kids, we had merry-go-rounds. Do you guys remember <laughs> merry-go-rounds? Okay. If you don't know what I'm talking about, a merry-go-round was essentially this gigantic thousand ton hunk of metal. All right, one ton hunk of metal that was like a circle. And then your friends, your, your tough friends, like to get that sucker going, like you'd push on it, all right? And then, and then pretty soon um, the thing would start spinning and then a couple of your friends would jump on and then, you know, one big dude would be like, whoo, whoo, whoo. You know, he was like the kid that got held back a couple years. And, 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 and then you'd, and then at some point, right, and all the kids, like, the game was, like, when that thing's moving, like, you had to dodge in between the bars and be like, I made it. Like, like we, it was like die hard, but for kids, you know? And so, and so I'm waiting in line, and it's my turn to get on to the merry-go-round. And I remember that thing's like, whoo, whoo, and like, you know, like, Bob or whatever his name's up, the, he's like, you're up, Jess, let's go. He's got a beard. And, and, and I'm like, okay, right? And I'm kind of like, I'm gauging it because I got, it's my turn to step into it. It's my turn to go. And I remember being like seven years old. I remember being seven years old and being so afraid to step into what I knew was going to be so fun and was going to be a wild ride and was going to be comical and was going to be me with my friends. I knew I wanted to get on there, but I was so nervous. I was so stopped up that in that moment, I, I, I remembered like I had a Band-Aid on my foot and I'm like, oh, hey, Bob, I got to go get a new Band-Aid from the nurse, gotta go, you know how band-aids are, you know, and, and I walked away, and here's the deal for you and for me, is I wonder tonight if God is asking a whole bunch of us to step into, that it is our turn to step into something new and wild, but that we just have so many excuses, because it's, it's terrifying, I remember the first year of Red Conference, I was writing uh, the beginning of our script with Connor, and it was our dream that we would raise up a generation of people that wouldn't just know God, but would make him known, that would be fearless in their pursuit of, of pushing God's kingdom forward and praying for their cities and serving people. And, and we had this vision, and, and we were writing down the script, and Connor just said one line that became, like, became the line that year, and he just said, Jesse, what we need to tell people is that we're not next, that we're now. And... We live in a generation right now, we live in a 20-something generation right now that says, well, we're the next generation. We're the next generation. And, and, and our time is to come. Our time is on the horizon, but it's not yet. You know what I mean? We, we're, and what Connor was trying to say is, we're not next. We're right now. The world needs us right now. And a whole bunch of us have been lulled to death in the lie that we are the next generation, we're not now. And so if we're the next generation, then that means that right now we can just journal about our calling, right? Right now we can just sit back and we can just relax or we can goof off or we can coast because there's no need for us to step up into what God is calling us to do. We're not now, we're the next generation. And Connor and I agree with him, said, no, 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 no. we're not next. We are Right now, we are now. John Acuff wrote a book about this tendency of our people, humans alike, just everybody, 
to never engage into what God has asked them to do or to never pursue their dreams or to never actually step into their calling. And he uh, wrote this book called Start. And I want to get this right. Start, punch fear in the face, escape average, and do work that matters. That's his book. And in it, he writes about this encounter that he has with this 70-year-old woman who is just, uh, they're both on a plane and she's just had this amazing trip away with her sister and they had so much fun and she's telling John about it and she's like, what do you do? And he's like, I write books and here you know here's a copy which which he's like I don't normally do this I'm not like that loser that's like here's my book you know but but he gives her a copy of his book and she reads it for about an hour and then she says this after uh he writes this after she had been reading for an hour she leaned over uh, to speak to me and ask me a question that I wasn't ready for what do you do John when all the excuses that you use to not chase your dreams are gone what do you do then In other words, she's asking John, what happens if you never stepped out? What happens if you never stepped out? And the reality for you and for me is that you are not next. You are now. And these are your warrior years. Like them or not. Engaged or not. Passive or not. These are your warrior years. You are in them. You are not next. They are right now. And the Bible makes it very clear that we need to do work with how we manage our years, with how we engage with our time. It's so important. James 4 says this, what is your life? You are but a vapor. You are a mist. You are here today. You are gone tomorrow. Psalms 90 says, teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, there is a clock that's ticking backwards until you are worm food. And then your spirit gets to go to heaven. Amen. But, but. Teach us to number our days. Colossians says that we need to use our time wisely, making the best use of our time. And then our king, sweet Jesus, at the end of his life, he looked to the father and he said this, and I love it, and I want this to be what I say to you, father. He said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In other words, I'm ready. I did everything you told me to do. And God is telling us, young adults, what a 70-year-old woman knew on a plane. And it's this. It's that your life is a miss. And if you're not careful, you will never step into what he's calling you to do. There is a call. The question is, are you stepping into it? And there's a Bible story about a character who steps into what God is asking him to do. He actually obeys him and goes for it, even though that merry-go-round is moving fast. And it's a man named Joshua. And we find him in Joshua 1. If you guys have been going to Red Rocks Church, we have a whole series on Joshua right now. It's phenomenal. You need to go. Um, And it says this, Joshua, Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan into the land that I am going to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place that you, what? Step. Fascinating, right? As I promised Moses, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. 
See, this whole thing starts with God saying, I have a plan for you, Joshua. I have a place I want you to go. I have a mission and a calling on your life. And we all know this part, and we all love this part. Like, we love the calling. We love the calling moment where the Lord, you know, speaks to us in a sermon, or he speaks to us in our prayer time, and he he gives us some pictures about what our life is to be. And we love this. We journal about it. We get stoked about it. We're like, woohoo! But then Joshua doesn't just stop there. He actually steps into his calling. He steps into his calling. But then Joshua actually follows through. And it says this, Joshua got up early the next morning and he and all the Israelites left Shittim. Excuse me. Um, (laughs) And they came to the Jordan River where they camped before the crossing. Three days later, the offices went through the camp and they told the people, as soon as the ark of the, um, of the promise of the Lord and the Levitical priests who carry it break camp and follow them. However, stay half a mile behind them. Don't come any closer so that you will know which way to go because you have not gone this way before. Joshua told the people, perform the ceremonies to make yourself holy because tomorrow the Lord is going to do miracles among you. Joshua told the priests, take the ark of the promise and go ahead of the people, and they did as they were told. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to honor you in front of all the people of Israel. I will do this to let them know that I am with you just just as I was with Moses. Order the priests to carry the ark of the promise, and when you step into the river water, stand there. Choose one man from each of the 12 tribes, the priests who carry the ark of the Lord and the whole earth, and um, that they will stand in the river Jordan. And then the water flowing from upstream, it will stop and it will stand up like a dam. So he says, take the ark of my promise. Take my promise. Take the promise that I've given you. Take the promise that I've given you and put it in front of you. And then I want you to step out into the river. The promise is there, young adult. The call is there. The question is, will you step into it? The reality for you and for me is, is that everyone in here has a call. God promises, and he is good with his promises. He he never stops giving promises. That's, That's who he is. But the, the problem for us is that for a whole bunch of us, we never maybe step into it. Like Chad talked about last week, um, the exodus is free, salvation is free, but blessing, that comes with obedience. And so for a whole bunch of us in here, he's given you a promise. The question is, are you going to step into it? And I think we can learn some things from Joshua. I think we can, can take in some things tonight from his story so that we can engage into our warrior years. And the first thing is this, it's that starting's hard. Starting is hard, young adults. Starting is hard. Starting is hard. I want to validate you. Starting is difficult because starting is never sexy. Starting is never sexy. It says this, Joshua 3. This is the beginning of Joshua pursuing his call. Joshua 3, 1. Then Joshua got up early the next morning. Sweet. And he and all the Israelites left and they went to the river. See, for most of us in the room, starting your call looks like you getting out of bed and actually showing up at the river. There's nothing exciting about it. 
There's nothing sexy about it. See, we love talking about the promises of God. We love journaling about. We love dreaming about. God, this is my dream. God, I'm going to journal about it. I'm going to tell this person that the Lord gave me a word. Like, what do we even say? What are we saying when we do that? He gave me a word, and this is another word that I got, and then somebody else gave me a word, and then I've got this new word, and it's like, well, that's awesome. But, um, and, but are we getting up, and are we showing up at the river? See, for most of us in here, we love talking about it, but starting is a whole different story because starting just really isn't that sexy. And the reason I know this is because this is my story. I was 18 years old when I got saved, and I remembered for that very first probably two or three years, like I was just a sponge for things of God. And I would hear sermons, and I would just like take notes, and I would go to my classes, my Bible classes, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I couldn't get enough. And I would read Bible studies, and I would go to Bible studies, and I would go to church on the weekends, and I would just receive and learn. I loved time in prayer. I loved time with the Lord. I loved, um, I, I would drive across the state just to go to another young adult ministry so that I could receive and I could learn and I could receive and I could learn. And, and then it, there came a point where God started speaking to me, my call. And he said, dig in. I'm preparing you. And I want you to be a leader of leaders. And I want you to raise up a generation of people. And I, I just loved this season with the Lord. And I remember just having this time where I was just taking it in and, and, and listening to him. And it would be something like this. It would be like listening and consuming and receiving and listening and consuming and receiving and listening and consuming and receiving. And every Sunday and every class and every Bible study and I took notes. And I got to a point where I thought that this was my call. I thought that maybe sitting here and receiving was my call. I thought that maybe receiving from the people I was listening to was my call. And I was just sitting here, and I remembered thinking to myself, Lord, why am I so bored? Is it you? Are you not exciting anymore, Jesus? Why am I so critical of churches and of pastors and of sermons because I would sit there and I would and the reality for the chair is that for you this leads to one of two places as it did for me you will either be an armchair quarterback or you will be a sermon slug one of those and for an armchair quarterback or an armchair Christian, I'll use the phrase armchair quarterback first because most of us know that, right? Like, like my husband's kind of one of these. Sorry, babe. Like we'll be watching the Broncos and he'll be like, well, I don't understand why the offensive line is doing that. And why'd they put that dude in? And oh my gosh, why'd they make that call? It was a bad call. You know, and, and he's sitting there and he's got all the knowledge in the world from a chair. And I don't know anything about football. So I'm like, well, that sounds good. <laughs> They should, probably, they should probably do that. Um, but the reality for the chair, for you and for me, is that we will get to a point where we're sitting here and all we know to do is to maybe critique a message. Or maybe we, we think we need to go to a different church because we're not getting our needs met. Or maybe we think we need to go to a different Bible study because these people just aren't cutting it for me. He doesn't know his theology like I do. And so... We become an armchair Christian. Or maybe for us in here, it's that we become a sermon slug. 
And, and you begin to feel this, this kind of feeling of feeling bored and ambivalent towards things of God because you know every single Judah Smith sermon that has ever been preached. You know every single Chad Brugman sermon that has ever been preached. You know Jess's sermons and you can recite them back to people, but you've never actually told your grandpa about Jesus. You've never actually told him. And so if you're in here, and I say this in love and in mercy and in kindness tonight, but if you are bored, young adult, or if you are feeling um, critical right now, chances are that you have mistaken the chair for where you are supposed to be. And you know what I find so interesting about sitting versus standing, just even standing up? When you stand, you use almost every single muscle group in your body. When you're sitting, you use none of them. And the same goes for you and for me spiritually. When you are standing and when you are engaging, you are using every single ounce of your spiritual muscle. But when you're sitting, none of it. And the Bible puts it this way. It says this in James. It says, prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves and listen to me there are there is a season where you need to be a hearer some of you are baby christians in here and you need to just hear the word of god but listen to me if you just hear the word and you never actually do it you are according to the bible deluding yourself starting is hard because starting isn't sexy because starting starting a call normally looks like obedience and it always requires a crazy amount of risk and not a whole lot of sexiness. Crazy amounts of risk and no one notices. That's what starting your call looks like. Zechariah 4.10 says this, But do not despise the days of small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices for the work to begin. Have you ever seen a person or a baby take their first steps? It's miraculous. It's amazing. Um, but it's not graceful, and it's not poised. And they'll kind of mount themselves up at about 10 months old. And listen to me. There is so much risk in this moment. The ground is far away. I mean, to them, it's like they're Godzilla, and they're looking down at like a city. The ground is so far away from them and their mom is so far away from them and they kind of totter forward, right? And they're like, you know, and they take like two steps. But listen to me, after they take those initial steps, they never go back again. And this is how it is for you and for me. When you engage in your call, there will be loads and loads and loads of risk and very little grace, very little poise, and see, I think a whole bunch of us in here, we don't want to engage in our call. We don't want to start pursuing God. We don't want to obey him because um, we, we want it to look sexy. We want the right opportunity at the right time with the right people telling us that this is our call. This is exactly what we need to be doing. We want, we want um, the gates to open and we want the spotlight on us. And oh, like, you know, like we want it all. But there will be loads of risk and very little sexiness when we step into our calling. We have a saying around young adults that we say all the time, or maybe I just say it and we need to start saying it more, but I'm like, build the plane while you fly it, guys. Build it while you fly it. Build it while you fly it. Build it while you fly it. Because here's, here's what I mean and here's what we mean when we say that. We have things that we want to do, but we don't always know how to do them. And so when we start doing them, they don't always look that great. 
So like, we know we want to reach the city of Denver. We know we want to do that. We don't quite know how. And so it was like, well, let's start by getting down there. Let's at least get down there so we can pray for the city of Denver with the most homelessness, with the most crime, with the most poverty. Let's get down there and just kind of see what it feels like. And so we're going to build it while we fly it, right? Like we're going to have a service down at Trinity Church. We're going to um, invite as many people as we know. We're going to invite people that do know Jesus. We're going to invite people that, you know, don't know Jesus. And we're going to figure out parking on the way. And we're going to figure out um, how to do production on the way. We're going to build it as we fly it. We're going to build it as we fly it with Red Conference. We've got this call. We know that God wants us to raise up a generation, but we've never done a conference before. And so what do we do? Well, let's set a date and sell some tickets, and then we'll figure it out. And so that's what we did. We set a date. We prayed, God, help us. We started selling some tickets. And you don't know this, but the very first year, I, we sold like 30 tickets before we even had a speaker. We were like, oh, okay. <laughs> Hope these people aren't going to be mad at us, you know. And we build it while we fly it. We build it while we fly it. There's a book out there called Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. It's an amazing book. Um, and it's just about, it's about beginning. It's about, it's about starting. It's about starting a screenplay. It's about starting your dream. It's about starting a project. And it says, right there in your driveway is a really fast car. Not one of those stupid Hampton-style rich guy showy cars like a Ferrari, but an honest fast car like a Subaru WRX. This is his words, not mine. No offense to anybody with Ferraris. And he says, and here are the keys. Now go drive it. Right there on the runway is a private jet ready to fly you wherever you want to go. Now here's the pilot standing by. Go, leave. Right there in your hand is a Chicago Pneumatics um, 0651 hammer. You can drive a nail just about any, through just about anything uh, with it again and again if you choose. Time to use it. Here's a keyboard connected to the entire world. Here's a publishing platform that you can use to interact with just about anyone, just about any time for free. You wanted a level playing field, one where you had as good of a shot as anyone else. Here it is. Now do the work. Do the work. In other words, starting is just starting. And it's loads of risk, and it's not very sexy. But we start even when it's not sexy, young adults. Number two. Stay obedient, even in the resistance. So Joshua makes it to the banks of the Jordan, and immediately he is met with resistance. See, the promise of God is there. The promise of God is good, and it's always good. But how many of you understand, how many of you know that the promise and the possession of the promise, between the promise and the possession of the promise, there is always resistance? I'll put it this way. Between your promise, between your call, and your possession of the call is always a problem. Always. And if not, then I would tell you it's probably not your call. There is always resistance when we step out and we obey God. Always. And for the Israelites, it was twofold. It was one, that they had no idea what was waiting for them on the other side. We know. We're like, oh, it's the promised land and you're going to love it. They had no clue. There could literally be anything waiting for them on the other side. Number two, that there was the water and the massive amount of resistance that they would meet just in the river itself. A little backstory about the Israelites. Um, this group of Israelites was the next or the new or the now generation of the Israelites. God had um, decided to let the generation that was unbelieving die off in the wilderness. And so there was a whole set of older people that died off in the wilderness because they did not believe the promises of God. And so God waited for them until they all passed away. 
And then Joshua takes over and there is a generation of young bucks, young guns that have no idea what they're doing. And he's like, okay, now go ahead and go. Step into the water. And it is completely unknown. They have never been this way before. The Bible says that. Go where you have never been this way before. They didn't know what to expect. They'd never followed God like this before. And it was brand new to every single one of them. The second thing is that they met resistance. That it was a harvest time river. Meaning that the river was um, as absolutely raging as it possibly could have been. That during the down seasons or seasons where it wasn't the harvest time, he probably could have walked across and it would have been about waist deep. But at this point, the, the water would just wash families away. And so Joshua knew this. He knew he was putting his people at risk. And I just wanted to ask you tonight, what's your resistance right now? What's your problem? Is it the unknown Is it the obstacles that you think you can't overcome? Because listen to me, your job is not to know the future. In fact, your job is to not even stop the resistance or to be the one um, that makes sure that the resistance doesn't exist anymore. Your only job is to trust God with your future, to obey him and to let him handle the resistance ahead of you. That's it. The story goes on and it says this. So they broke camp to cross the Jordan River. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Promise went ahead of the people. And the, Jor- the Jordan overflows all of, it, all of its banks during the harvest season. When the priests who were carrying the Ark came to the edge of the Jordan River and set foot in the water, the water stopped flowing upstream. And the water rose up like a dam as far away as the city of Adam near Zarethem. And the water was flowing downward towards the Sea of the Plains, the Dead Sea, and was completely cut off. And then the people crossed from the east side of the Jordan directly to the opposite side, um, directly opposite of Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Lord's Promise uh, stood firmly on the dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, and the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. And so the last thing I think we can learn from Joshua's story is that we need to step into it. And band, you guys can come back up here. That we step into it. We already talked about this, but it's a harvest time river. It's a harvest time river for uh, these people and for the Jordan. And I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity or been around a body of water that is just raging. A, A body of water that that could cost you your life. There was a few years ago that John and I were um, in Hawaii. I know. I was suffering for the Lord with YWAM. <laughs> and we were playing in the ocean, and we were diving into, you know, diving into the waves. And uh, there came a point where I, I was kind of looking at him, and he was on shore, and then I turned around to meet a gigantic wave that just it hit me in the face, and the moment it hit me, it pushed my body to the ground. And I did another flip, and then it pushed me down again. And then at that point, I felt the undertow, and it just, took, it just took me. And I was 20 meters out before I even, I mean, before my head even popped out of the water. I was so far away from where I needed to be, so far away from where I wanted to be. See, there is a territory, young adult, that God is asking you to take, but the resistance is strong. And you are fooling yourself tonight if you think 
that Satan is just going to let you step out and receive the promise or step out and build the kingdom or step out and take the territory. Some of you in here tonight, you are feeling massive resistance to you trying to obey God. And you are feeling the waves of discouragement. I've been praying for you this week. You are just feeling wave after crashing wave after crashing wave. You have lost all of your confidence. You have lost all of your security. You don't know if he's there with you right in the middle of your call. You're not sure. For some of you, it is the the crashing wave of failure. You've stepped out, you've tried to obey, but things didn't go the way that you thought. And so that resistance is strong. Maybe for you, it's unbelief. You have been met with the pelting um, idea that maybe God is no longer with you. Maybe God is no longer for you, that he's forgotten you, that he's forgotten about his promises for you, that he no longer has a plan and a hope and a future for you. The resistance, the setbacks, the problems, they're real. And tonight, I just feel like God told me to come here and say to a whole bunch of you, that if you are hard pressed, you're right where he wants you to be. The Bible says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Joshua steps into the river. Him and the 12 priests step into the river. And it says this, I find this so interesting. It says, the ark not of the covenant, which I thought was interesting. It says, the ark of the promise of God. And what was so interesting is they stepped in, they obeyed him, they stepped into the water. And listen to me, the resistance kept coming. The water kept flowing. The moment Joshua stepped into the water, God answered him, just like he said he would. But he stopped the water in a place called Adam, which was about 20 miles away from where Joshua was opposite Jericho. And so God walled up the water at Adam, just like he said he would. And then there was this whole course of river that had to make its way to Joshua. And so listen to me on this. The moment that Joshua stepped in, the Lord met him in the river. But the resistance kept at it for hours. And I think God wants everyone in here tonight to know that one, that starting is difficult, that starting is hard, that starting is never sexy, that you are going to risk a lot in order to obey him and no one's gonna know your name, at least not at first. That starting is going to require you staying and remaining and sustaining even in the middle of resistance, but listen to me, that God still wants you to step into it, to step into it. Please don't give up the territory that God has promised you because you've run into some setbacks. Can everybody stand? I think tonight God just wants to stay. Step into it even if you're discouraged. Step into it even if you're feeling some resistance. Step into it even if you're feeling some setbacks. Step into it because there is a territory that is yours. These are your warrior years. The call's there. The promise is good. Will you step into it? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for every single individual in here. 
God, I pray for the people that have been met with so much frustration and discouragement in the middle of their pursuit of you. God, I pray that tonight that they would, they would just know, they would just hear you and know that you have a good place for them, that you have a promised land, that you are a good God and you every promise is yes and amen in you, Jesus. God, I pray that every single person in here, that they decide to get up off of their chairs and build your kingdom. God, I pray that every single person in here, that they would come to know you, God, in a new way as they pursue you, God, that you wouldn't just um, make us satisfied with the status quo or with us journaling about our visions and journaling about our dreams, but that we would actually begin. And I just have one question in here, and it's if you don't know Jesus tonight, if you don't know the God that calls you into beautiful places and better places, and listen to me, in this story, the promised land, that's a literal place that the people went into inhabit. In the New Testament, and for you and me, living uh, post-Jesus, post-resurrection, the promised land is this place called heaven. And we get to receive it, and we get to go to it, and we get to be a part of it, and be with um, a king forever. And he wants to know tonight, do you want the promised land? Do you want heaven forever? Because it's there for the taking. The promise is always good. All you got to do is step into it. And so if you're in here tonight and you do not know Jesus, you don't know him as your savior, but you want to step into what he has for you. Would you just raise your hand up nice and high? Just raise it nice and high. And I'd love to pray for you. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for every single person that received you tonight. God, I pray that you say that if we are unashamed of you before all of men, that you would be unashamed of us before heaven. Romans says that all have fallen short of the glory of God, but that any man who believes can be saved. And so I pray for the people that received you tonight, God, that you would save them, that your Holy Spirit would indwell them, that you would comfort them in this moment. And God, teach us to chase after your promises, come what may. We love you, Lord. Help us to step into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.